Hello and welcome back to a special holiday edition of Cloud9Fit. I'm your host, Will Cager-Smith, and in case you've forgotten, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, which is why we're bringing you this week's episode a day early. So if you've made time for us in your busy holiday schedule, thank you very much. Maybe you're on a train or a plane to see your family, or maybe you've been with your family for a day or two already and decided to take a break by catching up on the leveraged finance markets. Whatever floats your boat, we're just glad you're here, and we're going to keep it short and sweet with a wrap-up of some recent news. So let's kick off with the primary market with the help of our reporter, William Hoffman, who's helming our weekly wrap today. Thanks for joining us, William. No problem. Happy to give back in the spirit of the holiday. So there's been a surge of issuance over the past couple of weeks, but what would you say are the most important deals of the past few days? Yeah, the primary market really started to take off after a consumer price index report from earlier this month showed inflation coming down faster than analysts expected. Since then, it's been a really strong surge of refinancings and LBOs, uh, a lot of which we thought might have to stay on banks' balance sheets through the end of the year. Uh, Last week, we saw utility Transalta and the Motorsports Series Formula One successfully take advantage of the rally to refinance those near-term maturities. Uh, I'm sort of a Formula One fan, so congratulations to uh, Max Verstappen and the Red Bull team for a successful season. Others uh, out there, such as retail company Rakuten, uh, Playa Hotels and Resorts, and the insurance company uh, Amta have priced as well. But those uh, issuers came to the market opportunistically. Others, such as OpenText, came out uh, more as a necessity to fund acquisitions. OpenTex really benefited from a strong appetite for tech credits, but Nielsen, uh, the Nielsen buyout debt, which the banks had already funded themselves, had a tougher price progression as investors questioned its ability to accurately track digital viewership numbers. Yep, and I guess one takeaway as we head into Thanksgiving is that even though this is traditionally the time of year when things slow down, there's a chance that this year, because some of these hung financings and also just the fact that the market has been so up and down over the past few months, there could be a slightly choppier calendar in terms of primary issuance. People are having to be quite quick on their feet these days. Right. The forward pipeline has the potential to be busy in December. Apollo has closed its buyout of Teneco, and the banks ended up funding that debt themselves. Some people in the market were suggesting that the bank's effort to syndicate that debt were shelved. But as you wrote uh, last week, Will, that term is uh, pretty ambiguous. Yeah, glad you mentioned Teneco, as that's an interesting one. We wrote a piece on this last Friday, as you mentioned. The dynamic around the docks is kind of interesting. Basically, what happened is the banks ended up funding the debt themselves, and that led some people to suggest that the syndication was quote-unquote dead or shelved. But according to our reporting, it was very much still on offer for institutional investors, but those investors were looking for dock changes beyond the flex that was pre-agreed in the commitment letter. And obviously, the banks would like to get that extra flex because it would help them place the debt with outside investors or if they ended up holding the debt to maturity or you know for for the long term themselves it gives them some extra protection but apollo is obviously less incentivized to agree to it as the sponsor they want maximum flex anyway that was a sticking point for the syndication so it remains to be seen if there's any change there now that the deal has been funded Teneco's debt could still get syndicated this year if the stars align on the other hand, I don't know that there are enough stars in the galaxy to get investors to buy Twitter's debt. Uh, there were reports recently that banks were putting feelers out there and had received some very low bids for the debt, like in the 60s. That would be a big hit to take, and one of the issuers 
And one of the issues in terms of placing that debt right now is that a clear business plan from Musk Twitter hasn't really emerged yet. So until there's any sort of plan that can be articulated, it's hard to imagine how an official syndication would happen. All right, well, thanks, William. Next, we're going to move on to two different sectors that we published longer articles on recently. So first, we're going to talk about the building product space with the help of Bill Weisbrod, one of our deputy editors. Thanks, Bill. No problem, Will, and thanks for having me on. Okay, so building products, hot sector over the past couple of years, now facing some challenges. That's my extremely high level and fairly useless take. So can you unpack that with a bit more detail? Far from useless. Uh, The housing market was hot during the pandemic, and that was in large part just thanks to low mortgage rates. And um, renovation, you know, renovation was taking off as well just because people were spending more time at home. So that was another area of demand for building products like window treatments. But, uh, you know, rates are going up, mortgage rates are going up and input costs are still high and housing starts are coming down from peak levels. And on top of that, prospective buyers are increasingly canceling on deals with home builders. So it's not a great future outlook for uh, demand from the housing sector. All right. And there are a few credits in particular you focus on in the piece. Can you give us a brief rundown of who they are, what they do, and how people are feeling about them as the outlook changes? Yeah, sure. So we mainly focused on companies that were 2021 private equity LBOs, uh, mainly because they were highly levered to begin with and have a lot of debt. So um, we looked at Interior Logic, that's an interior design business that was bought out by Blackstone. Uh, we looked at Cabinet Works. Obviously, they do cabinetry, owned by Platinum Equity. And uh, we looked at Springs Window Fashions, um, that's owned by Clear Lake. And then we also looked at Geld Wen, their public uh, door maker that has a big debt load, but at a lower leverage multiple than some of these. Uh, PE buyouts. But basically, this is a story of changing valuation views. These companies have liquidity and they have, so, you know, they have cash. They don't have maturities coming up soon. So they, you know, they can turn themselves around or they can withstand some, uh, they can withstand some turbulence, but their debt has been steadily trading off. And that really just reflects a new normal or investors view of the new normal in their end markets. And which is a pretty different environment from what they were initially bought out at. So this is really a valuation story for a lot of these companies. Um, And, you know, how they do in 2023 depends a lot on how the housing market unfolds next year. Right. So this is definitely a space to keep an eye on. And there's just more bad news day in, day out for the housing market. As ever, we'll do our best to keep our readers up to date with some more news and analysis in the coming weeks. But moving on for now, we're going to talk software with our other deputy editor, David Bell. Thanks for joining us, David. Hi, Will. Thanks for having me on. All right. So we were just talking about building products, which became quite hot during COVID and people are now concerned is sort of tailing off a little. And software has some elements of that, but it's been in a bullish cycle for quite a bit longer. So can you kind of give us the general gist of the big story you wrote recently? Sure. So software has definitely been one of those hotspots in in leveraged credit markets in the past few years. It's been really popular with private equity companies and leveraged loan investors for a few reasons. Software companies have tended to generate a lot of stable recurring revenues from subscriptions. They also tend to have fairly low capex requirements, which means they can generate a lot of cash. 
So when interest rates were super low in the past couple of years, there was a surge in software leverage buyouts. And, and now software is by far the biggest exposure in the leverage loan index. It's about 12% of the overall market. And now we're in this much higher interest rate environment. And there's growing concern that some of, that some of these highly leveraged names will struggle to generate free cash flow because of the rising cost of all this floating rate debt that they've taken on. I think for some of them, this could play out fine. The pandemic kind of showed the importance of tech and software. So for companies that have the best products, the best engineers, developers, they might still be able to ride this out. Corporate tech and software subscriptions do tend to be sticky for really good products. But there are a lot of names that people are worried about in the market, especially those that might not have a top tier product. They might have too much leverage or they're struggling to generate the kind of sales they need to service their debt in this rising rate environment. When I was reporting the story, a few investors said that they thought software in the loan market looked a lot like oil and gas credits in the high yield bond market did in the run up to the 2015-2016 energy crisis. It's a sector that has attracted a lot of capital in recent years. And with oil and gas, that resulted in a pretty big shakeout in the credit markets. Okay, got it. And there are some specific examples you talk about in the piece. Can you just go into a little bit more detail about those? I mean, we don't have to talk detailed cash flow analysis or anything, but just give us a taste of how people in the market are thinking about these credits. Yeah, we picked out two or three names that I think have some kind of similar themes that investors are concerned about. One was a company called Quest Software. This is a, a cloud cybersecurity software as a service business, which are all things that customers ramped up their spending on during the pandemic. But but now Quest is seeing sales come down after those those peaks. They were taken private by Clear Lake in early 2021. And since then, they've, it seems that they've, they've had a lot of turnover among their sales staff, which is making it harder for them to generate revenue. The sources that I spoke to said this is actually pretty common among tech companies when they get taken private. Stock-based compensation is a, is a massive perk for sales staff in tech, but when a company gets taken private, they might cash out and move on to, ne- to another business. And new hires might find stock incentives less attractive because it's less liquid in a private company than it is in a public company. But all the investors I spoke to said they realized how important a good sales staff is for some of these business to not only generate new clients, new business, but retain existing contracts and keep those renewals coming. And what's the other big thing these companies are dealing with? The other thing that that Quest is dealing with is transitioning from selling perpetual licenses for their software to a recurring subscription. Right. They're not the only company that's dealing with this, but the idea is that the company's going from getting this big one-off lump payment up front to booking the revenue over time. Another company that's affected by this is Avaya, um, the communication software business, which is struggling with its debt load and free cash flow at the moment also. Right. And there's lots more examples in the article, which listeners should definitely check out. But that's software, once revered, now somewhat feared. And lastly, but not leastly, I want to welcome our senior reporter, Sasha Padbidri, to talk about something that impacts many of our listeners, which is hiring conditions in the credit market. So welcome, Sasha. Hey, Will. 
Glad to be serving our audience something on Thanksgiving Eve. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to vastly oversimplify this, but the gist of your story is bankers are getting laid off, but credit shops and PE firms are still hiring, right? Correct. But just to be clear, um, it's really the investor-facing product specialist roles that investment firms are currently hiring for. So we're talking about people who can still persuade LPs and other capital partners to put money to work in this very volatile environment. And as Sasha Jensen highlighted to me, um, it's people who really have the skill set to work with both the investment and distribution teams that are still in demand. Right. And obviously, we should caveat that this is data from Jensen Partners, which is just one recruitment firm. But what conclusions or implications do you think we can take away from this data? Right. So, yeah, this is just data from one recruitment firm. But um, one of the interesting things that Sasha Jensen also pointed out to me is that as private equity giants like Carlisle, Blackstone, and Apollo, among others, diversified their um, strategies, there will be more opportunities for hiring from private equity firms. So, you know, earlier this year, we saw Carlisle's credit business overtaking its private equity arm for the first time in 35 years. You had Blackstone raising a $50 billion vehicle earlier this year as well for stressed real estate deals. And of course, can't forget Apollo buying um, Credit Suisse, Securitized Products Group. So um, all of these things will definitely help to contribute towards more hiring opportunities, at least in the private equity sector. Yeah, they do. They just keep getting bigger and bigger. All right. Well, thank you, Sasha. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Thanks again for tuning in. And please don't forget to like and share this episode if you enjoyed it. And don't forget to check in next Thursday for an update on all things Europe with my colleague Kat Hidalgo in London. As for me, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. So until then, as ever, take care.